Straight after the dramatic passing of Nadav and Avihu, we see that Moshe tells Mishael and El Tzafon, their cousins, to remove their bodies from inside the Mishkan. And Rashi explains that the reason for that is like a person who says to his friend, remove the corpse from in front of the Kala so that you don't interfere with the Simcha. And the question is, why does Rashi have to go into so much detail? The commentaries try and say that it's because of the words in the Pasuk, Me'eis Penei HaKodesh, that why did I have to say remove them from in front of the holy place? But that doesn't make sense because Rashi doesn't even mention those words in his uh, headline. Besides which, it goes without saying that they had to be removed. Plus, we need to understand why Rashi needs a moshal in the first place. Surely itself understood why you remove their bodies, not to interfere with the simcha. And the nature of how the moshal is expressed seems different to how it is in its source in the Gemorrah Suvis. There it's a halacha, that you remove a dead body from in front of a kala, and here Rashi seems to imply that it's just a good thing to do. We also need to understand how come Rashi emphasizes that we don't, don't want to interfere with the simcha of the kala, which effectively means the Jewish people, rather than to say not to interfere with Hashem's simcha of the inauguration of the Mishkan. So it turns out actually that what bothers Rashi is the overarching principle, why does the Torah have to tell us something quite obvious, to remove the dead bodies from the Mishkan, and why it's specifically given to family members especially considering that those family members are Leviim, and should he want to keep them pure so that they can continue working in the Mishkan, which implies actually that removing those two bodies is part of the work in the Mishkan as well, and specifically at the time of the Shemini Lemiluim, which is why uh, they, had to be, they had to do it. Mishal and Atzafan, people who were on duty, had to be the ones to remove their bodies. The Rebbe will also ask a question, surely Hashem should have himself prevented the interference with the Simcha by not killing them at this particular point in time, and as a result of that, we see that it's actually the people's Simcha which is at stake over here. It will also teach us something relevant about how it is that there's this altercation between Moshe and Aaron about their behavior, the Aaron and his sons, and their behavior after the passing of Nadav and Avihu. And we'll take home a practical lesson about how we, each of us, should be like a levy, totally dedicated to Hashem on the one hand, and yet there's an important lesson about what not to overlook in our service of Hashem on the other. Straight after the passing of Nadav and Avihu, we see that Moshe calls to Mishol and El Tzofan and says, Come close, take your brothers out from in front of the holy place, outside of the camp. Rashi specifically quotes those words, take up or raise up the bodies of your brothers and take them out, etc., and he explains that it's as if it's a person speaking to his friend and says, let's remove the body so we don't interfere with the bride's wedding celebrations. So, the first question is, where do you see in these words that it's not just a simple instruction, take them and bury them, but it is a specific instruction, don't interfere with the simcha. Where do you see that in the words, lift those bodies and take them out? So many of the commentaries on Rashi say that Rashi is bothered by the fact that the Torah seems to be quite long-winded over here. Instead of just saying, take them out, it says, take them out from in front of the holy place. Why is that relevant? If the instruction was just simply take the bodies and bury them, the Torah would have said that. It would have said take them and bury them. And even if you want to argue that the Torah needed us to know that the burial place has to be outside of the Jewish camp, still, the expression take them away from in front of the holy place is still extra language. And therefore, the Mepharshim want to say, Therefore, the Mepharshim want to say that actually the main emphasis in this Pasuk is not so much to take them and bury them as much as the get them away from the holy place. And the reason is not to interfere with the Simcha, which obviously took place in the holy place inside the Mishkan at that time. That's how the Mepharshim explain it. The Rebbe says the two reasons why we cannot really accept that explanation. This explanation doesn't make sense. First, the Aleph, Madua Hetek Rashi Bipirusha Esate Vesus Achechem, or Lehemshach Apostle, Meis Pneakodesh Ramas Beisophos Begemer Bilvad. If it's true that Rashi is most bothered by the expression Meis Pneakodesh, how come it is that in the headline of the Rashi he only uses the words Suu Esachechem and then he says etc.? 
Now the Chayyim Meachas Shakolai Chacha he Meatevus Beis Pnei Akedish Hoi Al Rashi Lecholer Rosh Lahatik B'Dibur Hamaskel Tevus Elu. Now, if it's true what the Mepharshim are saying, that the big issue that Rashi's bothered by in this Pasuk is the words, then Rashi would certainly have included those words in his headline. And second question, maybe even a bigger question, we know that there's a halacha which says that you're not allowed to keep an item that is impure inside the mishkan or later in the base amigdash. So, surely the fact that they're being told take the bodies out is to highlight for us this halacha that you don't retain tumah in a holy place. And, and, and that's actually self understood. And the reason, the reason why Moshe has to actually say it, even though it's self-evident that you're going to take them and bury them, the reason Moshe has to say it is to emphasize the need for speed. Get them out as quickly as possible because it's actually a problem to allow Tumah to remain in the Mishkan. So we're back to square one. So what makes Rashi think that the message over here is Dafka not to interfere with the Simcha. The message surely is to do things as quickly as possible so as not to prolong Tumah in the Mishka. Okay, so the explanation of the Mephoshim seems to fall short and we still need to understand how does Rashi see in the words of the Pasuk that the primary concern over here is not to interfere with the great joyous occasion of inaugurating the Mishkan. However, before we can answer that, we have to pick apart some of the details in Rashi because they also don't seem to necessarily make sense. In Rashi's wording itself, something doesn't add up. Why did Rashi have to give us a parable that getting the bodies out of the Mishkan is similar to telling a person, let's move the dead body away from the, the Kala so she can celebrate her wedding? It's just obvious. Just say, remove the dead bodies so that we don't interfere with the simcha of the day, the simcha of inaugurating the Mishkan. Why do we need the mashal of a kala? The truth is that this idea of not interfering with the joy of inaugurating the Mishkan is something that Rashi is about to say again in Tupsukim time when the Aaron and his sons are told that they may not grow their hair long, which is a typical sign of mourning. What does Rashi say there? There he actually does say it in the most succinct way. You should not interfere with Hashem's Simcha of the Mishkan. So why here does Rashi feel that it's necessary to bring a marshal to drive the point home? Now you might say, oh, because Rashi doesn't have to give us the details in two psukim time, because he's given us the details here. Okay, fair enough. We'll show an earlier source where Rashi uses the expression, and it's in this context related to the story, and it doesn't bring the marshal of a, of a bride. Where is that? Then a Pashas Mishpatim where we see that there's a criticism of the leaders of the Jewish community, including Nadav and Aviv and the Skenim, that they saw revelation of Hashem and they didn't necessarily give the right sobriety or the right uh, respect that was necessary at the time. The Rashi says they looked in a, almost a brazen way at Hashem's revelation and they deserved to be killed already at that time except that Hashem delayed the debts because he did not want to upset the joy of receiving the Torah at that time. And there Rashi didn't feel the need to bring the mashal of a bride. So why suddenly here, in this case, is the mashal of a bride relevant? So we really need to understand what detail, what element of this Pasuk would we not fully understand without this particular parable of remove the dead body from in front of the bride. Now once we're looking at this Moshal, there's another question about how Rashi says the Moshal, which seems to be quite different from the source he's apparently quoting. 
Let's assume we reach the point where we have a very good reason why Rashi had to compare this particular instance of removing Nadav and Avio from the Mishkan to the equivalent of removing a corpse from in front of a bride. Still, Still, why does Rashi say it in such a, 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 an unusual way? Like a person who says to his friend, let's remove the body from in front of the bride. Surely he could have just said simply, Surely he could have just said simply, like we would always remove a body from in front of a bride. Why does he have to say like a person who says to his friend? How does that elucidate this concept any more than what we already know? What makes this an even greater question is, the origin of this expression to remove a body from in front of a bride is in the Gemara Ksubis. And there the Gemara doesn't say it as this is the normal way of people. It says it as a halacha in Torah that we are required to remove a dead body from in front of a color, even to the extent that if there's a funeral procession and a bridal procession coming down the road, the funeral procession has to divert. So it's a halacha. It's not just a nice practical psychological thing that you don't want the bride's day to be ruined. Now it's really perplexing. Why does Rashi word it as if it's just the way people behave, which means that it's not as compelling? If it's a law in Shulchan Aruch, then it's compelling. You have to do it. So just like you have to remove a dead body from in front of a bride, you have to take Nodim and Avihu out of the Mishkan at this time. The minute Rashi says it's like people say or like people conduct themselves, it no longer sounds so compelling. So that's strange, right? Now, there is a Midrash on this as well, and the Midrash presents another version, which is not a halacha, but normal psychology, except that the Midrash doesn't compare it to a bride, it actually compares it to a mourner. And as we shall see, the Midrash can do that, but in Pshat, the correlation is not going to work, which is why Rashi does not go with the Midrash. So what does the Medrash say? So the Medrash says that when it says that you should remove the dead bodies from in front of the Holy One, it's like saying, let's remove the dead body from the face of the mourners. You know, how badly do the mourners have to suffer? Let's remove it so it's not in their face. Or the Girsa Cheres is another version. Another, another version is it's saying, let's remove a child who has passed away from in front of the father. How badly does the father have to suffer? And then that medrash we get why it is expressed as this is the way people are. There's no halacha that says you have to immediately remove a corpse from in front of the mourners. But that's the way people conduct themselves. We don't want them to have to suffer more than necessary. Whereas when you talk about removing a corpse from in front of a bride, that is not just human conduct. That's a requirement of Jewish law. So why doesn't Rashi speak like the Medrash if he's already looking for an example where it's the nature of human beings? Why doesn't he use the example that the Medrash does? Remove the corpse from in front of the grieving father, which would have been so apt over here because it is Aaron grieving his two sons. The reason why Rashi doesn't use the same muscle that the Medrash does where we want to remove the corpse to reduce the direct acute pain of the mourners. Where the whole intention is to diminish the already overwhelming pain of the grieving family. And Rashi rather chose to say we're looking to make this like, let's remove the dead body so we don't reduce the simcha. Why did Rashi choose that? Rashi Dafka words it as there is already a simcha in process over here. Let's not derail the simcha by having this dead body lying here. Why doesn't he go with the medrash? Because 
It's because the Medrash interprets the words me'es penei hakodesh not as remove the bodies from in front of the Mishkan, but rather we need to remove the bodies from in front of the holy man, who is Aaron, the father grieving over his sons. Rashi has no choice because in Pshat, Pnei HaKodesh, the most simplistic way to translate Pnei HaKodesh is the Mishkan. And so therefore Rashi cannot go with the explanation of the Medrash that reinterprets Pnei HaKodesh to mean Aaron. And that's why Rashi had to take the expression and the Moshal of the Kala. So what makes it strange for us, though, is had Rashi gone with a medrash, it would be very plausible that he's talking about something which is minag, the conduct of people. But here Rashi's saying it in the language of this is the conduct of people, but he's actually quoting something which is an alachic imperative. So it seems like a strange mashup, and we need to understand why. Plus, there's something else about how Rashi words it, which also doesn't seem to make sense. Why is he emphasizing the color, which would, in the Moshe, represent we, the Jewish people, when actually the context, and even from Rashi's own words later on, seems to be that, let's not ruin Hashem's Simcha, who wouldn't be the bride in the story. Seeing as we know that in Tupsukim time, Rashi is going to say Aaron and his sons should not grow their hair long so as not to undermine Hashem's Simcha. Surely here too, he should have been consistent and said, We don't want to ruin Devish's Simcha. So how come here it is that Rashi words it that we don't want to ruin the bride's simcha, the bride would imply us. So one attempted answer we're going to make is because, let's be honest, moving a corpse from here to there is not going to make a difference to Hashem. Hashem is not bound by space, but the rebel will say the truth is this simcha is bound by space. Yes, Hashem is not, but this simcha is specifically localized in the Mishkan. So maybe you'd think that moving the bodies from here to there, even outside of the camp, is not going to diminish Hashem's simcha because Hashem is outside of the camp too. And maybe that's why Rashi had to say the only ones who may feel a difference in simcha is we, the Jewish people. Once the the mesim have been removed, we will feel less interference with the simcha. Whereas in Tupsukim time, when he tells Aaron and his sons not to conduct themselves in the normal ways of mourning, that would make sense that it's Simchas Shal Mokim. Because if you're mourning publicly, you are certainly undermining the fact that this is a time of joy for Hashem, the inauguration of the Mishkan. So maybe that's the reason. Alva Be'emesi Yav Shaloymar came, but the Rebbe immediately dismisses that as an, as an explanation. Ki'av Shem Loichel Aretz Kavoidoi. Obviously Hashem is everywhere. But still, I remove him Bepashas, Shishim Chos Hashem Mokim, Kshur Aboi Sem Mokim, Shalav Eim HaKadosh Baruch Hu Vasadim, Mingdash Hashachanti Besoichav, Shaboi Yashna Ashos Hashchina Begiloi. goes without saying that the place where the Simcha is held is in the Mishkan, the place where Hashem says, make this environment for me and I'll reveal myself in this place. And therefore, it would still remain plausible that removing the bodies out of the Mishkan would be so as not to ruin Hashem's Simcha. So we're back to square one. Why does Rashi say it's not to ruin the Simcha of the Kala? So, our questions are what's bothering Rashi in the Pasuk? It's not the words me'ez p'nei ha'kodesh, because then he would have included it in the Dibur HaMaschil. Why does he feel the need to give us this moshal? Surely it's self-understood that you remove them in order not to interfere with the simcha. Plus, we have to understand why does he put the moshal as if it's human conduct rather than acknowledging that it's Jewish law? And why is the emphasis on our simcha rather than Hashem's simcha in this particular moshal? Now, in order to explain all of this, we're going to identify that what we thought bothered Rashi in the Pasuk is actually not what bothers Rashi, and it's Dafka, the words he quoted in the Dibra Maschil, that bother him the most. Firstly, because of the general message that these words convey, and because of the specific words of the family connection between Mishael and El Tzofan and Nadav and Avil. 
Rashi says that as soon as you learn this Pasuk, immediately there are two surprising things that confound you. One is the general message of the Pasuk, and the other is the specific familial term, your brothers. And that's why Rashi uses those words as his headline, because those are the words that convey the real issues in this Pasuk. So let's look firstly at the general message, what's strange about the general message of this Pasuk, and then the specific issue, why does it highlight Achechem? The first thing that's a little bit blurry to us is, generally speaking, the Pasuk, here we are, we're in the middle of a description of the incredible celebrations of initiating and inaugurating the Mishkan. Why is it necessary to punctuate that in the middle with the instruction to, and then the reporting that they actually did it, that Mishol and El-Tzofan have to remove the bodies? Why does this belong here? Surely it is self-evident that they were not going to leave the bodies there as the, as the um, inauguration of the Mishkan was going to continue. Self-evident. Obviously they're going to take the bodies out. And if you want to say it's because we needed to know how far out we have to take them, not just out of the Mishkan, but they have to go outside of the entire camp, well, the Torah could have just said that. Could have just said, take them out of the camp. Finished. So that's the first question. Why is this relevant in the middle of a description of how you inaugurate the Mishkan? Especially when it's information that you probably could have worked out on your own. Plus, we have to understand why the emphasis to Mishol and El Tzofan that what you have to take out is not just not of an view people, but Dafka relatives of yours. Why is it relevant to us here to know that they're relatives? We already know who Mishol and El Tzofan are. They're being introduced in this Pasuk as cousins, right? So we know that they're family. Why does the Torah then have to emphasize again that they're family? So it sounds like the Torah is highlighting because they are family, that's why they specifically had to take Nadav and Avio out. Now that's going to raise two questions for us. Number one, why do we need to know that now? And number two, why Taka? Surely it would make more logical sense to keep Mishol and Elotzofan, who are Levim and have a role to play in the inauguration of the Mishkan, keep them pure, and let's get some people from the outside to come and be the undertakers. So, so this doesn't make sense. First question is, why is it in fact relevant to this story to know that it's relatives who had to take the bodies out? And more substantially, more fundamentally, why taka should it be relatives? The logic would seem to imply the exact opposite. Because they're relatives, they're Levim, so they're part of the process of serving in the Mishkan. And even though I don't know that yet from a Pasuk, in fact, we're only going to learn about the fact that Levim play a role in the Mishkan much later on, only in the book of Bamidbar. Still, Rashi's already told it to us back in, in the story of Levi himself, the original Levi. <laughs> so there we were already told that there's a concept. And even before that, at the time of Esau, when he wanted to get the, the, the soup from his brother, we already know that this, the Shevet Levi have to serve in the Mishkan. So logically, surely, if these are Levim who have a role to play in the Mishkan, Let's preserve them. Let's preserve their purity. Let's keep them in the Mishkan. Let's keep them in Tahar and let them continue their work. And let's get people who will not have a role to play in the Mishkan, Yisraelim, to take Nadav and Aviyu to burial. Now this 
question is even highlighted much more so when you look back in history and something Rashi told us where you see that Levi himself, the original Levi, had to be so careful not to become impure because of the role his descendants would play generations later. So if that's how careful we are back then, surely we should be so careful here. What does Rashi tell us? When Yaakov Avinu was going to pass away and he instructed his children with all the things about his burial, he said that Levi, his son Levi, should not carry his coffin because in the future, Shevet Levi would carry the Aaron with the Luchos inside. Logically, it's, it goes without saying. If Levi was not allowed to carry his own father's coffin, because generations later his children would serve in the Mishkan and would carry the Oren, how much more so here in this story? We're not talking about that level of relative. We're talking about cousins after all. And when are we talking about this incredible celebration of the inauguration of the Mishkan? Surely, logically, you would expect that we would want every Levi to stay in the Simcha and the initiation of the Mishkan rather than to be involved in a job which others could have done to bury Nodav and Avihu. So that's what bothers Rashi over here. Why is it relevant to the story of the inauguration of the Mishkan? to have these details of how they were buried, and why did the burial have to take place by family members who actually had a role to play in the Mishkan? So so these are the two things that forced Rashi to explain as he has explained. The first thing Rashi notices is the Torah is obviously telling us that Mishael and El Tzafon, removing Nadav and Avihu, is not just pragmatic because they have to be buried, and they have to be buried far, but it is part and parcel of this inaugural Simcha of the Mishka. That's the first thing Rashi notices. And therefore, because it is part of the Simcha of inaugurating the Mishkan, that's why its family members had to do it. Therefore, Rashi says, why do they have to remove the bodies? Not because we can't have Tumay in the Mishkan, that's self-understood. Not because they have to be buried, that's self-understood. But because this is part of continuing the Simcha of the Shmini Lemiluim, that's why they had to be removed. And that's why the Torah, which Rashi alludes to with the Vagoimer, continues to say you have to remove them away from the place of holiness. Why? Because the place of holiness right now has to be a place of Simcha. So in order to facilitate that Simcha, Nadav and Avihu have to be removed. So Rashi sees it clearly that if this is built into the story of Shmini Lemiluim, if it's built into the story of the inauguration of the Mishkan, then it's part of the inauguration. How? Part of the inauguration were things that they did proactively, Part of the inauguration was to remove the impediments to the celebration. Take note of an avio and bury them. And that, that itself explains why the people who had to take out the bodies had to be from Shevet Levi. Why? Because removing Nodav and Avihu's bodies emerges as part of the service in the Mishkan at this particular time. Except this is not one of those positive avoiders that you do, like the Levim would sing in the Mishkan. It's one of the negative avoiders that you have to do. That there are times in the Mishkan that you have to remove things that don't belong there. As happened daily, actually, in the Mishkan, they had to remove the ashes and, and, and whatever it was that was still left on the Mizbeach out of the Mishkan. So this is a similar kind of thing. Part of the Avoida, part of what you do, is you remove things that don't belong in the Mishkan. So it turns out that Mishael and El Tzafan don't lose out on being part of the service of inaugurating the Mishkan. They have a very specific role to play. It's just that their role is 
a removal role as opposed to some of the other roles which were proactive, bringing offerings or singing, etc. However, Rashi still cannot just tell us, even though it's, it's clear here, that the core reason why we have to know here about the removal of Nodav and Aviyu is because part of the Simcha of inaugurating the Mishkan is not to ruin the Simcha. But Rashi cannot just tell us that in those words. He has to give us the Moshal as well. Why? Because there's a very powerful question that immediately has to pop up. If it's such a big theme, not to interfere with the Simcha of the Mishkan, how did Hashem himself interfere with the Simcha? Why didn't he delay the killing of Nadav and Avihu to the next day? Now, remember, we've already learned something about this in Parshas Mishpatim, which only makes it a bigger question. Rashi already explained that at the time of the giving of the Torah, when they were exposed to this great revelation of godliness, and they were a little brazen in the way that they looked at it, because Nadav and Aviyu and the Skenim all already deserved to die at that point in time, but Hashem did not want to ruin the simcha of the giving of the Torah, so he delayed the punishment. So that doesn't make any sense. That implies that Hashem did not want to interfere with the simcha of receiving the Torah. But somehow it's very clear that Hashem was not concerned about ruining the simcha of inaugurating the Mishkan, because look, he allows Nodav and Aviyu to be killed at this time. So that's strange. And especially when you consider that the Zkenim were not punished, not at the time of the giving of the Torah, nor at the time of the Mishkan, it was pushed out even further. So it's really strange to us. If you're telling me that the reason to remove Nodav and Aviyu from the Mishkan is because we don't want to interfere with the Simcha, how did Hashem himself interfere with the Simcha? By allowing them to die at this point. So how can you logically argue that the instruction to remove Nadav and Avihu is not to interrupt the Simcha when Hashem has already interrupted the Simcha? Therefore Rashi has to bring the Moshal of the bride and not just the Moshal of the bride but specifically to say this is normal human conduct. He's not bringing the Moshal of the bride to say this is the Halacha. He's trying to illustrate that Moshe behaves in a way, in this story, which is the way you would want to behave at a simcha. Let's mitigate as much as possible whatever might interfere with the simcha. Rashi says, look, if I look at the pshat, what Moshe is telling them is not a direct instruction from Hashem. It's not a halacha. It's not that they are required to move not of an avihu, so as not to interfere with the simcha. Rather, it's like people normally would do. They would say, let's take the dead body out so that we don't interfere with the bride's celebration. Human nature is that if there's a wedding happening, you will do everything in your power to ensure that nothing interrupts that simcha. It's the way we are. Let people have their simcha uninterrupted. That's why if there's a funeral procession and a wedding procession, we detour this the funeral procession because we want to do everything in our power to ensure that a bride's day, that the simcha of a wedding or any simcha for that matter, is not undermined. Even if undermined means just a detour. Certainly not to have to confront the funeral procession directly. So, it's that psychology that Moshe Rabbeinu applies over here. In spite of the fact that Hashem chose to bring this tragedy on Aaron and his family in the midst of the incredible Simcha of inaugurating the Mishka. 
which means that Hashem was happy with a painful experience in the middle of the Simchatim. That's Hashem's business. Hashem decided that He's going to create Tsar at this time. Moshe says that's what the should decided to do, but my responsibility is to ensure that as much as possible the simcha of the Yidden is not diminished more than it needs to be. And that's why the expression Rashi tells us is that he speaks like one would speak to his friend. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is not following an instruction from Hashem that we have to remove Nadav and Avihu forthright. But rather, it's to say that what you've got to do over here is try and diminish the pain in the middle of a time of Simcha. And now we get it. Why in this Pasuk, Rashi says it's not interfere with the bride's Simcha, whereas in Tupsukim time, when he says you may not observe the laws of mourning, there he says don't interfere with Hashem's Simcha. Why the distinction? The fact that Nadav and Avihu died right there, where this fire came out from Hashem right inside the Mishkan and killed them, which shows you that Hashem was willing to temporarily forgo the Simcha of inaugurating the Mishkan in order to deal with them. So therefore, you cannot tell me, well, now you have to remove Nadav and Avihu so as not to upset Hashem. Hashem has already chosen to so-called be upset at this particular point in time. So removing their bodies is not going to do anything, so to speak, to diminish Hashem's pain, if we could use such an expression. Taking out their bodies is not in any, any way going to add to Hashem's simcha, because Hashem has already decided that this slice of the simcha is, already, is not happening. So why did Moshe say remove Nadav and Avihu immediately? Because he wants to make sure that our Simcha is not diminished. But in Tupsukim time, when Moshe speaks to his brother and says, you and your family should not observe the normal customs associated with mourning, Asher Aleph, Number one, Moshe says it to Aaron, not as good advice, but as an instruction. That's what Hashem says. You may not mourn right now. Also, this is not something that relates directly to Nadav and Avihu, like burying them. This relates to the conduct of Aaron and his other sons, in the context of the Mishkan, now you're in Hashem's Simcha, now we're back to Simcha. Hashem temporarily suspended the Simcha to kill Nadav and Avihu. That part of the Simcha Hashem has already, so to speak, neutralized. Now we're post that, we're continuing with the Simcha. Aaron and family, you may not mourn now because it's Hashem's Simcha. Now we can say, do not interfere with Hashem's Simcha. Hashem's simcha of inaugurating the Mishkan depends on Aaron and his family doing their particular roles inside the Mishkan. So it's unthinkable that Aaron and his family, who are supposed to facilitate the simcha of the Mishkan by doing their particular jobs in the Mishkan, certainly cannot now be mourning at the same time because that would be undermining Hashem's Simcha. Now once we've done this, it's going to help us understand an interesting altercation that occurs between Moshe and Aaron straight after this, where Aaron uh, behaves in a way that Moshe disapproves of until Aaron argues his case, and then Moshe accepts it. And it is really strange, because surely Moshe knew all these halachas. Rashi even goes so far as to say that Moshe acknowledges that he didn't know. So what exactly are the dynamics of this conflict? It all relates to what we've just spoken about how Aaron and his sons are not allowed to mourn in a way that will diminish the simcha of the inauguration of the Mishkan. Sorry, before we get to that, before we get to that, here, another piece just about the nature of the, uh, of the marshal that will introduce that particular point. 
Shame Shem Marshal Hara Ainon Mabat Mesabedus, Rat Mavimus Samais Mimokim Hakalabasimcha. Just an important point. So, when we talk about this marshal of let's remove the dead body from in front of the bride, we're not saying that now there is no mourning. This is a critical point. There is still mourning. There is going to be mourning, but we're going to remove the bodies elsewhere. Very important point. Aaron and his sons are going to still have to keep the morning practices, the aninus of, you know, before your dead have been buried. But just like the dead have to be out of sight, their morning practices have to be out of sight. And from that we'll understand this uh, discussion between debate between Moshe and Aaron. That will explain something which is very perplexing in our parasha. Basically what happened was, there were three carbonos that they had to eat, carbon chattas that Aaron and his, and his sons had to bring. Two of them were specific to the inauguration of the Mishkan. So Aaron and his sons ate the meat of those carbonos. But the Seirosh Chodesh, because the eighth day of the Miluim was Rosh Chodesh Nisan, so one of the offerings he's supposed to bring on Rosh Chodesh Nisan is a Seir, a goat, that they didn't eat. They burnt the entire thing on the, on the Mizbech. When Moshe heard that, Moshe became angry and he said, Why did you not eat this chattas? When Aaron replied to him and he said, When Aaron replied and said, Would it be pleasing to Hashem if I had eaten while an oinein? He says, I'm a Kohen Godel, so as an oinein, I'm allowed to perform, I'm allowed to bring the sacrifices, but to eat the sacrifice. Suddenly Moshe is completely placated and he says, yes, what you say makes sense. It's so strange. One minute he's angry at Aaron, the next minute he completely accepts what Aaron has to say. What are we missing in this story? What was the logic that Aaron applied to distinguish between the two chatois that he and his family did eat from and the sirosh chodesh which they refused to eat from? Rashi, Rashi explains, So Rashi says what Aaron said to Moshe was, you may have been told by Hashem that the temporary chatois that are associated with this specific time inaugurating the Mishkan are not limited by morning and so we can eat them. That's true. But the Sirosh Chodesh is going to be for all time. For the rest of the history of the Mishkan and the Beis Hamikdash, every single month, we're going to bring that carbon. It would not be right to show that in spite of us mourning, we're still allowed to eat it, because then in the future, people might take the laws of mourning, of, of mourning lightly. That was Aaron's response. Now, it's quite logical that you can make a distinction between a carbon that is temporary in the now and a carbon that is for all times. Anybody can make that distinction. Surely Moshe knew that distinction. Why did Aaron have to explain it to him? And Noch as a chiddush, as if it's something he had never heard before. So much so that Rashi says, he acknowledges, Moshe acknowledges that he didn't know the Salacha. In fact, it's so strange that to Moshe it appears to be so clear that there's no reason to distinguish between the carbonus that are only for that day and the carbon that is for the rest of history, so much that Moshe gets angry. It doesn't make sense. If you consider that from Moshe's perspective, all three carbonus are identical and should be treated identically, in spite of the fact that two of them are only for today and one of them is forever, then how did Aaron manage to settle it with such a, an easy explanation that there's a difference between the two carbonos? It doesn't make sense. Moshe seems to be, there's no difference. And Aaron says, there's a difference. And Moshe says, okay, fine. What are we missing over here? There's something fundamental to this, to this interaction that doesn't seem to be coming through. So the answer is, there's a flow over here. Moshe, as we clearly have seen, is very clear on the fact that we are not allowed to interrupt Hashem's simcha. 
That's clear. So we may not do anything that will undermine the simcha of inaugurating the Mishkan. Therefore, in Moshe's mind, Aaron and his sons eat the karbonos because their mourning should not interfere with the simcha. And if that's the approach we're going to take, it doesn't matter which carbon you're eating. If it's a carbon that's a once-off, or if it's a carbon which is for the long term. It makes no difference. Don't stop doing what you should be doing to interfere with Hashem Simcha. Which would explain why Moshe is angry. Because in his mind, the way that Aaron has behaved by burning the Seir Hashchodesh, Aaron has undermined Hashem Simcha. And Moshe says, that cannot be. It's unacceptable. You cannot undermine Hashem Simcha. So Aaron says to him, but I didn't interfere with Hashem Simcha. I brought the Korbanis Lifnei Hashem. In terms of what I needed to do for Hashem's Simcha, I did it. I brought all three Korbanis. Aaron wants to highlight over here that when it comes to these Korbanos, it's only when you bring it to the Mizbeach that you're in front of Hashem, and therefore you can't undermine the Simcha. But when you're eating the Korbanos, you're not in front of Hashem anymore. So you have to rethink. Because when it comes to eating these Korbanos, yes, you have to eat in the precinct of the Mishkan, but it does not have to be right next to the Mizbeach. Next to the Mizbeach, that's Lifnei Hashem. That's where the Simcha is happening. So bringing the Karbonis, you've got to do, because if you change anything on the Mizbeach, you're undermining Hashem Simcha. But if you now go a few meters down and you eat the meat, you're now no longer Lifnei Hashem. Now it's no longer in the context of Hashem Simcha. Now you've got to ask yourself, am I supposed to be mourning at this time? Where is the primary focus of Hashem Simcha during this week of inauguration? Next to the Mizbech, which happens to be exactly the same place where you see this revelatory fire of Hashem that comes down and swallows up the Korbanos. That's Hashem saying, here's our point of engagement. Which would explain why the process of inaugurating the Mishkan included so many Korbanos. Because the place of Korbanos is the place of the Simcha. But because, as Rashi indicated in the Moshal, the dead is dead. We just don't want it to be in the face of the Kala. So mourning is mourning. We just don't want it to be in Hashem's face. Therefore, Torah and Aaron, that So therefore, Aaron says, I get it. I'm not allowed to interfere with Hashem's simcha when I'm by the Mizbech, bringing Korbanis. Everything has to go like clockwork. When I move away from the Mizbech and I'm no longer in the space of Hashem's simcha, my morning kicks in again. The fact that they were told that they should eat the carbon mincha and the two carbonos chattas that were brought as part of the inauguration of the Mishkan, that's not because they were told so as not to interfere with Hashem Simcha. That was a temporary measure that was relevant at that time in the Mishkan. In the inauguration of the Mishkan. And therefore, Aaron says to Moshe, if you were given a temporary suspension of the laws of mourning with regards to the special carbonos of the inauguration, we don't know that that same uh, suspension applies to a carbon that is a regular carbon that would be brought for the long term. Moshe hears that and he says, 100%, you're absolutely right. I was angry because I thought you were interfering with the Simcha, but now that you've explained it, you haven't interfered with the Simcha. You've upheld Hashem Simcha absolutely because you brought all the Korbanis as you should have. And in terms of you eating, well, you have a you have a unique instruction for the special Korbanis of the inauguration. You don't have such an instruction for a regular Korban which will be brought every single month. Aaron, you're actually right. Now, the Rebbe says there are many lessons we could learn from this, but he'll focus on one. There are so many lessons. Let's extract one. Very often quoted by the Rebbe, that the Rambam tells us that every single Yud, every single Yid, 
no matter who you are, can and should emulate the tribe of Levi. By dedicating yourself to do what Hashem wants and forgetting about all the overwhelming thoughts that always occupy so much of our minds, our anxieties and worries and investments in the material world. If instead of that we dedicate ourselves completely to Hashem, we become Kodesh Kadoshim, as he says, holy of holies, like the tribe of Levi. So that's our goal, right? To become as holy as Levim or the Shevet Levi. So a person might then think, I'm, I'm like a levy. I'm somebody who's worked to achieve this, uh, this goal and objective that the Rambam sets out. So I'm, I'm like a levy. I'm completely dedicated to Hashem. I'm not involved in the stress of this world. To the point it becomes, as the Rambam calls it, holy of holies. And Hashem is my complete obsession. So the person will say, if that's the case, I should focus all of my time, attention, and energy only on doing things that are proactively positive. Learning Torah, doing mitzvahs, davening, that kind of thing. Now if this person should now encounter a situation where he has the opportunity to stop somebody else from doing something wrong, he says, it's not for me. It's beneath my dignity, my spiritual dignity, not my ego. I'm engaged with lofty ideals. I shouldn't have to worry about stopping that person from eating non-kosher or, or speaking badly or, or whatever it is that they're going to do. There are other people who are still at the level of Yisrael. They're not yet completely enveloped in the holiness of Kodesh Kadashim. Let them deal with it. They can be the so-called outreach professionals. They'll go and they'll handle people who are disengaged from their Judaism. So that's the lesson from Mishol and El Tzofan. The exact opposite is true. Removing the, the negative is part of the simcha of this Mishkan that you claim that you're living in. So therefore removing that negative is something which is part of serving in the Mishkan and therefore has to be done by a Levi. A Levi is not just about singing and not just about helping the Kohanim. It's about removing the things that are objectionable. That applies to every single one of us who have this primary overarching job to make this world a place for Hashem. Obviously it goes without saying that you cannot pretend that a place is a home for Hashem if you still allow schmutz in the place. You've got to remove the negative. You've got to remove the dirt, as the, as the Alter Rebbe says. The cleaning out of Hashem's house is a job for a Levi Dafka. It's not beneath your dignity. That's exactly your role. You dedicated yourself to Hashem. Guess what? A huge part of this dedication cleaning out the place of those things that are objectionable. Stopping another yid from being involved in something which is inappropriate for him. And by us preparing the world through the two modalities of to remove the negative from the world and to make the world an appropriate vehicle for godliness that turns our world into the most incredible home for Hashem, which will be manifest when Hashem is completely revealed in the future, not distant future, the future that's in the next minute with the coming of Mashiach that should happen mamish immediately.